Al Jazeera podcast. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI, and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. An Israeli video apparently shows Hamas fighters surrendering and handing over weapons in Gaza. But critics are dismissing it as staged and part of Israeli propaganda. So is the footage real or fake? And who gains or loses by circulating it? I'm Cyril Vanier, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In Washington, D.C. is Sahar Hamis, a non-resident senior fellow at the Middle East Council on Global Affairs and a specialist on Arab and Muslim media. Sahar, we'll come to you in just a moment. In Doha is Mark Owen Jones, an associate professor of Middle East Studies at Hamad bin Khalifa University. You research how technology can be used as a tool of oppression. And from London, we are joined by Dina Matar, a professor of political communication and Arab media at the Center for Global Media and Communication at SOAS, that is the School of Oriental and African Studies. Thank you very much to all of you for being with us. Um, Sahar, let me start with you. I'd like your take on uh, this video, and it was in Finton's report. This is the video where we see dozens of Palestinian men stripped to their underwear, one of them whom... Al Jazeera reporters in Gaza have since identified as an aluminum shop worker who is made to walk, follow Israeli instructions, and, and put down weapons um, in front of them. I'd like, what did you think when you first saw this video? Well, thank you for having me. I think that there is a famous saying that truth is the biggest victim of war. So whenever you have war, you also have some accompanying degree of propaganda, misinformation, and disinformation. And this has been very prevalent and very clearly spread in the current situation in Gaza and the horrific attack on Gaza. It is not the first time that we see footage that cannot be documented, cannot be really verified as accurate. And I think that in this particular case, there is a lot of doubt about the authenticity and verification of this particular footage and this particular video because, indeed, some of the people who showed up in this particular video were found to be civilians, whether they are just average citizens or even a journalist or other people who have no affiliation uh, with Hamas. And let me just say that this is not the first time that we have seen this type of disinformation and even staged, staged videos emerge out of this particular situation. Uh, we all remember the case of the staged video of the woman who posed as a nurse from Al-Shifa Hospital, and she started to say things like, oh, Hamas is using, you know, the Al-Shifa Hospital as a place to actually have its own military command center, and it's stealing food and fuel and resources and energy uh, from the uh, Palestinian civilians mm. and doing horrific things. And then this whole video turned out to be staged and fake, and there was no proof whatsoever that this woman was a nurse or that she was at Al-Shifa Hospital, and the whole thing was completely fake. So unfortunately, we have been seeing that time and time again in the midst of this horrific attack on Gaza. And this information and propaganda has been used as a brutal weapon in this particular terrible situation. Mark Owen Jones, referring back to that video again, the one where this Palestinian man surrenders uh, a weapon 
What is the audience? Who's the audience for this, for, for pictures like these? Well, I think the audience is primarily the, the Israeli public. But I would like to add uh, what was a crucial aspect of that video that we need to explain is that firstly, one of the iconic photographs was showing the man holding the gun in his right hand, surrendering it, and putting that gun on a pile of other guns, right? And then what later emerged on social media was a video where you saw the same man walking and holding his gun in the left hand, right? Which led to, obviously, obvious accusations that this had been staged and that the man was repeatedly asked to come and put guns down for the camera. And there's even a voice of a soldier off, off camera who's saying, uh, please put the gun that we gave you down, right? So I just wanted to emphasize that point that people have talked about this video being staged, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest that it was staged and that they made a man who had already been stripped to his underwear carry weapons for the purposes of a photo shoot. So I think the purpose of that video, one, is humiliation. You know, there's no real reason why they should be stripped to their underwear and photographed. Let's not forget that it's seen as a contravention of the Geneva Convention to public humiliate and degrade prisoners of war. And if you photograph those prisoners, you are degrading them. So to engage in that kind of behavior and then publish it in a way that goes viral, I would say is designed to humiliate not just Hamas, but Palestinians. As, as Saha said, you know, there's, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that these fighters are, or the people, sorry, in the pictures are ordinary people. So I think what's happening here, as the pressure from the US for the war to end is increases, Israel are more desperate to convey to their domestic audience that there is some sort of victory here. And the way that they want to do that is to have this mass humiliation of Palestinian men uh, and then publish that to an Israeli audience to sort of demonstrate that there has been sufficient vengeance for what happened on October the 7th. Dina Matar, your thoughts on this? Because you, one could easily argue that this has backfired. This, as other videos have that Israel has released since the beginning of this conflict, there is so much talk on social media, um, in broadcast news, on this video. And in a similar way, there was very a, a lot of talk on previous videos that Israel has released. And there was just really deep questions, fundamental questions on the, on the authenticity of the videos, whether they were staged, to what extent they were staged, etc. Could one consider that this has backfired and continues to backfire for Israel? Um, well, that's a good question. I think I was today looking at the BBC coverage of this uh, particular video. And even the BBC, which has now gone into the practice of verifying and putting the word verify uh, of uh, various videos that come out of, uh, of the war. Um, it was interesting to see that even in the BBC report, it said there are still questions remaining in terms of the authenticity. There's another point, you know, so the first images of uh, the group of men, or, you know, it's not only a group, it's a, a couple of hundred men stripped down to their underwear, that first image came out, um, a, you know, maybe about four days ago or even more. And then the video of uh, the man with the, with the, with the gun came back uh, later. So there is the timing element. So the question arises as, as to why um, did Israel decide or uh, Israeli authorities or the IDF decide to, um, to publish uh, the image of the man with the gun? There's another issue that uh, I want to raise here, which is despite the very, um, you know, the sophistication of Israeli intelligence and Israeli uh, communication practices and the propaganda machine, these videos show a bit of kind of naivety. And in a sense, 
they are probably images taken by by the soldiers themselves of of their captives uh, and then reframed uh, by um, that's my assumption i mean i i don't know whether i'm correct or not uh, time will tell is that they have been reframed as part of the israeli propaganda campaign and the uh, misinformation campaigns uh, that have um that have kind of come up quite a lot during this this war against gaza there's something I'd like to put to all of you is that these videos that we've been, by the way, putting up on screen, of course, as you've been talking, um, these videos have been referenced by Israeli leadership. We heard Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reference it earlier in that report that Hamas fighters were laying down their weapons. This is Herzi Halevi, the Israeli chief of general staff. Listen to him. I see the achievements from day to day. We are seeing every day terrorists are killed and also terrorists who are injured. In the last few days, we also have seen them surrendering, a sign of the collapse of the system, a sign that we need to press harder. And this is what you are doing. All right. Um, Sahar Hamis, so we see there's this kind of, of feed, feedback loop almost, where the video makes it onto Israeli media. This video, the soundbite that we just aired, was recorded a couple of days ago. Uh, and then you see the heads of the military or the prime minister saying, ah, we have the video. This shows that our military campaign is working, and it seems that one feeds into the other. I think that Israel is desperate in order to paint an image of some kind of quote-unquote victory, because that has not really been the case. I mean, it was hoping for some kind of grand operation that would really put Hamas down to its knees in a very short time. And as we all know, that did not happen. The ground operation in Gaza did not go as planned for Israel or as, as hoped for. And as it loses more and more of its own soldiers and artillery and all of that stuff, it is really desperate in order to show that it is doing some kind of success or some kind of victories being achieved in Gaza. Hence, these kinds of videos that are mostly staged and unverified, as we've been giving examples before. We all know the example, of course, also in Al-Shifa Hospital, where the soldiers claimed that Hamas had a command control center under the hospital. And then, of course, there were all of these jokes in, uh, you know, Arab uh, social media posts about the calendar that was shown on the wall and that some Israeli mm. soldier was pointing down to as like, oh, this is like a list of Hamas fighters, when in fact it was just a list of the days of the week. So there were like jokes going on viral on uh, social media saying, you know, be careful. If you're an Arab, don't keep a calendar because that can really prove that you are somehow associated with Hamas uh, or Hummus. So it has been like, you know, really uh, used in, in the uh, social media context as some kind of making fun of this type of dangerous disinformation. But it is not only funny, it is really very dangerous because some people, unfortunately, take these types of disinformation. And it is disinformation, not misinformation, because misinformation happens when you don't get the facts right, but you have a good intention. But disinformation happens, as in these cases, when you deliberately tweak the facts and actually create some kind of fake uh, scenario or fake uh, story that never happened. So this is called disinformation. And that is very dangerous because, unfortunately, some receivers or audiences may not be witty enough, may not be really media literate, and can just take all of that stuff at face value and believe it to be a fact when it's not. 
But, you know, even within the Israeli media, if you read Haaretz, for instance, they carried this report with, uh, and they attributed, they, they quoted, senior security officials told Haaretz on Sunday that of the hundreds of Palestinian detainees photographed handcuffed in the Gaza Strip, about 10 to 15 percent are Hamas operatives or are identified within the organization. Now, simple math tells us that means 85 to 90 percent of the people that we see in these pictures are not in any way affiliated with Hamas. And the military, the Israeli military say that they've released, they've released the others. So it, it seems that there's, there's, the, there's the big picture narrative that's being put out, as we said, that by Netanyahu, the heads of the military. And then when they're questioned in detail by the media, they say, well, actually, 90% of these people are not Hamas operatives. So, Mark, this goes back to the question that I was asking you earlier. Who is the, who is the intended audience and what's the purpose if you're then going to say, actually, most of these people were civilians? Well, again, I think, you know, this isn't just about Hamas. I think what we're seeing here, and, and I mentioned it earlier, and this notion of, you know, the fact that the men in the photos were stripped down to the underwear, this is about humiliation, right? And it's not just about the act of humiliation. It's, 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 it's the public broadcasting of these images, mm. which makes that humiliation a form of viral humiliation, right? It's about, you know, helping dehumanize Palestinians and othering them. And I think this is another argument of why it's for the, not just the Israeli audience, but the global audience to an extent. One of the issues we've seen coming out of uh, the past two months is this attempt to routinely dehumanize Palestinians. Why is it important to dehumanize them? Well, because if you dehumanize them, and we've seen lots of discourse like this, from, for example, an Israeli official referring to Palestinians as human animals, if people are encouraged to see Palestinians as less than human, they'll be more likely to support continued, uh, not just Israeli action against Palestinians, but increasingly horrible treatment of Israelis, of Palestinians, right? Because and this narrative of dehumanization is contributing to this. So I think this photo of Palestinians uh, was an attempt at dehumanization to further basically legitimize continued Israeli uh, attacks on them. And I, I use this kind of example of the audience, right? Some people say, well, why this, this, this information often seems so flimsy or the staged elements seem obvious. Well, it's like Israel airstrikes. So Israel are happy to kill 100 civilians if it means they're killing one Hamas leader. They're happy to arrest 100 civilians if it means arresting 10 Hamas leaders. But I say the same for disinformation. It doesn't matter if 100 people, you know, critical people, realize that the disinformation is nonsense. As long as two or three Israelis will believe that disinformation, then it's been an, uh, successful to an extent. Dina, there is in Hebrew, and it doesn't have an English, exact English translation, the concept of Hasbara, uh, which, is, um, which is essentially a communications strategy to explain what the state of Israel is doing. The closest approximation to the word, to the Hebrew word Hasbara is explain, right? Explain what Israel is doing. Do you want to explain to our viewers how Israel uses that and has used that in the past? So Israel has used Hasbara, which is um, translated into public relations or communication strategies. 
uh, in very specific and um, targeted ways. I agree with Mark that the um, audience for uh, this particular clip we, we were talking about is the Israeli audience. And in a sense, it's a way of telling them, look, you know, we are taking hostages. And in a sense, it's saying we are also, you know, kind of um, keeping them and humiliating them. Um, so maybe uh, it's a way of responding to the uh, current debate uh, within Israeli societies, particularly by the um, family members of hostages uh, in, in Gaza. But to go back to Hasbara, it's a, it's a, a strategy, uh, a political communication strategy that uh, Israel has been using to try and uh, legitimize its own uh, narrative about itself. Um, in a way, you know, um, the right to exist, the right to defend itself, um, you know, kind of locating it within this uh, anti-Semitic frame. Uh, you know, everyone who who uh, criticizes Israel is, is immediately branded as being anti-Semitic. And this Hasbara is um, targeted at uh, different uh, different people and publics. It's not only it; it's basically targeted at publics in uh, in the West, perhaps in the Arab world as well, to try and uh, you know kind of um, change the perspectives or perhaps uh, show that you know or, or uh, support Israel in its claims to uh, about itself. And we have seen many examples. Uh, about that over the years. And uh, uh, it is a very pernicious um, strategy. Uh, and you could see that um, some of the, one of the most uh, important figures who practices uh, it is, of course, Mark Regev, mm. who, um, who probably has had uh, training in communication and how to use language. Um, and he insists on uh, using particular terms all the time um, denying any possibility of thinking otherwise. So this is what Hasbara is, and it's been written about quite a lot um, in, in the literature, in the academic literature, in terms of the literature on propaganda and on strategic communication. By the way, Mark Regev is an Israeli diplomat, a civil servant, a government advisor, but most TV viewers, especially people who watch news about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, they will definitely have seen him in interviews because he speaks, obviously, in favor of Israel, but he speaks, he gives a lot of interviews to explain uh, the, Israeli, uh, the Israeli point of view. Outside of Israel, do you feel that for this conflict, Hasbara is working? Because Israel, since, since October the 7th, has lost a lot of international support. We know how the world feels about this war, because there was a resolution at the UN General Assembly. I'm not, not talking about the one at the Security Council. I'm talking about the General Assembly, which takes the temperature of how all the countries in the world feels. There was an overwhelming majority for a ceasefire and to stop the fighting. Do you feel Hasbara is working outside of uh, Israel for this conflict, for this war? Are you asking me? I can I can answer. Yeah. Um, I think I th I think um, it has worked in the past, uh, but I think people are beginning to see the uh, you know are beginning to see that uh, there are the claims made by Israel are just claims. You know, they're just uh, lies, misinformation, uh, you know, propaganda. That's all we could say. Um, and there is a shift in opinion, particularly amongst the younger generation. And that's because they are using social media. They're able mm. to see what's happening. They're mobilizing behind uh, other terms and so on. But uh, Hasbara is uh, is still used, and and you know it is supported by a lot of funding. Uh, in the UK, we have something called BICOM, which is a British Israeli communication uh, unit 
that was established about, um, I would say, 2016, with the purpose of um, with the purpose of uh, flooding uh, the public space and the media space in the UK with with the pro-Israeli narrative. Um, so we see a shift amongst the young people, but I think the older generation are, are uh, much harder to shift in terms of their opinion. Sahar, does this kind of video and others that came before it, including ones that you talked about, others that we referenced that were either debunked or that were, you know, laughed at on social media and seen as either wildly inaccurate or completely staged, does that pose a problem for the U.S., which is the main supporter of Israel in this war at this stage. I mean, let's just remind our viewers, you know, based on the, the, the U.S. veto at the U.N. Security Council just a few days ago, Israel is just one U.S. veto away now uh, from not being able to prosecute this war as it's currently doing, right? So they, they need the U.S. to be on board. Does this create a, a PR problem for the U.S.? I think it does, because the unconditional and one-sided support that the U.S. has been given Israel since the beginning of all of the events unfolding since October 7th has been really uh, something that a lot of people have critiqued and blame the U.S. for really being this staunch supporter of Israel when we have more than 18,000 lives lost uh, in Gaza, most of whom are women and children and elderly people who are just plain civilians that have nothing to do uh, with Hamas. So this really creates an image crisis for the United States and shakes its own reputation, credibility and international leadership on the international stage. I also want to highlight the very important point, which is the double-edged sword of social media. Social media played a very, mm. very important role in the midst of these events. I mean, on one hand, it really allowed the truth to come out in a way that was not possible through the mainstream American media or Western media in general, most of whom have adopted a narrative that's really, really very supportive of Israel all the way and did not give a lot of room for showing the other side of the story, which is the suffering of the Palestinian people day in and day out. Therefore, the world consciousness was shocked when they started to see all of these images and videos coming out of Gaza. And they're like, oh, my God, wait a minute. We are not seeing that on, you know, traditional mainstream average Western media or American media, but we are seeing it now through social media. Social media played a very important role to create this kind of awakening of international public opinion. And we saw how that was reflected in massive demonstrations and protests and marches all over the world, one of them here in Washington, D.C., exceeded half a million people, which is unprecedented. On the other hand, however, social media had another side, which is a negative one, where it really became a platform for the spread of staged videos and, in some cases, misinformation or disinformation or propaganda, just like some of the footage and videos we have been talking about. So we have to bear in mind also this double-edged sword effect of social media and how it can have positive as well as negative consequences at the same time. Mark, if we flip the coin, what has been Hamas's communication strategy? How have they countered the, 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 whether it's the videos or the messaging that we're seeing out of Israel? Well, I think they've shifted over time. I think the initial attacks on October the 7th, you saw a sort of celebration of brutality, uh, which obviously was, in terms of 
uh, generating global sympathy was entirely ineffective. But I think the thing is, Hamas, apart from putting out these occasional videos where you see spokesmen talking about what they've done and how many Israeli, how much Israeli equipment they've destroyed, have attempted to kind of try and portray themselves in a more legitimate light. So we've seen Hamas spokesman conferences now with those advertising backboards. Uh, when we've had the hostage, hostage exchanges, we've also seen, you know, a lot of narratives promoting this idea that Hamas uh, have been humanely treating their hostages, whereas Israeli uh, Palestinian prisoners of Israel have been really treated badly. So they've made a kind of lot of this. And now we're seeing more videos of, of Hamas, you know, showing and documenting their attacks on Israeli tanks, uh, again, to show, uh, you know, Hamas are strong and won't be cowed. Uh, but I think generally, over time, the need Hamas have to to kind of counter Israel's points are not strictly that important. I mean, as Saha mm. said, and as Deem has mentioned, you know, there's a lot uh, of social media content coming out from journalists still in Gaza that show the absolute devastation that Israel's bombing has caused. I mean, when you have over 16,000 people killed, uh, a huge number of which are children, uh, then global sympathy is obviously going to be on your side. So Hamas actually don't need to do much. Because when those videos are being put out, that is going to be the most effective form of persuasion that Hamas need. And so I think that's really important to remember when we talk about the propaganda war here, there's a certain asymmetry. And Hamas have benefited from the fact that Israel's brutalist response has just generated so much anti-Israeli propaganda itself. And that's all the time we have for today. But I'd like to thank all our guests for joining us. Sahar Hamis, Mark Owen Jones, and Dina Marthar, thank you very much to all of you. This episode was produced by Shantanu Chatterjee, Fintan Monahan, Veronica Pedrosa, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Renjit Kurian. The program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Zaina Bader, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, Argentina gets its first libertarian president. Will Javier Millet blow up the political status quo as he's promised? That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.